Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. And we're into extra time. Kia ora koutou katoa, I'm Clay Wilson and welcome to Extra Time, our weekly podcast on all things sport here at Radio New Zealand. The All Black selectors have moved a step closer to deciding their final squad for the Rugby World Cup. The squad has this week been trimmed from 39 players to 34 for the two Bledisloe Cup tests against Australia over the next fortnight. Three more players will be cut ahead of the tournament in Japan, with 31 eventually heading off in pursuit of a third straight World Cup crown. We'll also delve into some rugby league and the Warriors' battles with NRL officialdom during the past week, hear from the coach of the New Zealand men's rowing eight, and find out why a woman is running 18 hours a day around the streets of New York. But first, we're going to talk the national game, and joining me now is RNZ rugby reporter Joe Porter and RNZ columnist Hamish Bidwell. Well, guys, let's get straight into it with the trimming of this all-black squad. Joe, I'll come to you first. What have you made of the five players they've opted to leave out for these Bledisloe Cup tests? Well, I suppose it's, it's not terribly surprising. I mean, Joshuani was never going to be there. Um, Carl Tuenu Kuafi just hasn't played enough rugby and isn't fit enough, so he he goes away. And of course, um, the the other guys, Shannon Frizzell, that's a clear admission that he hasn't quite made it to the level that they want for the blindside flanker they're going to take to the World Cup, so it seems that his chances are over. Um, and I guess that via Fafita, his inclusion, his him remaining within the squad, squad, perhaps a little bit of help with Brodie Retallick's injury, but he gets another crack to, I guess, prove that he's worthy of taking to Japan. So I suppose those are the biggest things, really. Scott Barrett's back. Will he get a run at blindside? Will we see that eventuate? Will Kieran Reid switch? I guess uh, another interesting points. And Sonny Bill Williams, is he running out of time to prove that he's got enough game belt, uh, game time under his belt to make it to the World Cup? I guess is another one with him getting sent away to counties to try and get some minutes. Yeah, I guess there's certainly a few talking points out of the players I've left out. I did spot Carl Tuenikoafe is the name that sort of stood out to me. Hamish, were you surprised to see him miss out? And we did hear Steve Hansen also talk about mobility and that's obviously been a factor in him missing this squad. Yeah, he was he was a notable one for me. I wouldn't say surprised, more disappointed. He was such a mm, um yeah. if you take about eight this the, the human interest part of last year, that was a, that was good. But more importantly he he was a really good rugby player. He contributed immensely Lately to the Chiefs campaign and then to the All Blacks, and you just thought here's a guy who can change his life, who can um, be a real asset to the All Blacks, who can nail down um, a spot in the 23 every week. And he hasn't taken that. He reported for Blues duty heavy. He yeah. stayed heavy. Um, the best period the, the Blues had in their season was when Tua Nikoafe was playing regularly. Um, he and Tonga Fasti were on the bench for a period, and they were coming on and finishing games, and they were outstanding. And the Blues won as a result. So the abilities there, and he's shown flashes of it this year, but he just has never been fit enough. And it's it's disappointing when you see a guy lose to himself, lose the internal battle. You know, I could be better, but I actually can't make myself better. And that's a shame. And so Hanson, he does babysit guys. He's prepared to give them a lot of rope. Tuanakawafe's one. He's carried uh, Akira Yuani around this year, who is, you know, in many respects, a waste of space. But he's given him the opportunity to prove he's a waste of space or prove he's an asset. 
And Ioane <laughs> hasn't done that. Well, he's proven one or the other, hasn't he? Let's be yes. honest about it. And Tuinukawafe sadly has done a bit of the same. And so, yeah, of the guys who were left out, I didn't think any of them had claims to be in there. And his was the most, as I say, disappointing because he really could be an asset to that team. Yeah, speaking of things to prove, Viva Fita has edged out Shannon Frizzell, as you mentioned, Joe. Was that a fair call? It looked like a pretty tight race there. I think, I mean, I don't think either of them are there, to be perfectly honest, and I think there's, the All Blacks are still better at looking at Scott Barrett, and I do, it will be interesting, interesting to see whether or not they go down that path before the World Cup. Um, yeah, I just think Fafita's probably slightly further down the, the path towards All Blacks enlightenment than Frizzell. He just is a little bit further back on the road of development, so I think Frizzell's chances are gone, and Fafita, by, by virtue of Retallick being injured and a little bit of uncertainty around that position, gets another shot, but I still think he's got a fair way to go before the selectors will be convinced to chuck him in a World Cup final. Yeah, we have seen so much uncertainty around that number six position with Liam Squire not being available. Hamish, Scott Barrett back in the squad. How much do you think we're going to see him in that position? Because there's so much talk about what he can do as a number six as well as being a lock. Yeah, it's interesting. They're running out of time. Um, he, mm. He's such a good player and you want your best guys on the park. Now, he's a, is he a top 15 all black? He probably is, do you know what I mean? But you've got Retallick and and Whitelock, so that pushes them into a different spot. So maybe that is going to be six, because he's sort of a bit wasted on the bench. The Tuipilotu, uh, we haven't mentioned him, but Patrick Tuipilotu mm. complicates this whole thing. So they want to have three specialist locks. So two of them are Retallick, a Fit, and Whitelock. And the third likely to be Barrett. And then you want to lock Lucy. If if uh, there's problems with Retallick, or um, Tuipilotu's form is, is, is poor, then Barrett has to be a lock, or does he have to be a lock Lucy? Then does Fafita or Hemipo, do they become your lock mm. Lucy? You know there's a lot of permutations that depend on people like Retellick's fitness, Tupelotu's form, and then what um, Barrett can produce if he does get a gallop at six. There's a few guys whose World Cups all hinge on, on the sort of same revolving scenario. Mm, it's certainly arguably, arguably almost the most interesting of the positions that's going to pan out, the selections that's going to pan out over these next few weeks. Uh, moving into the backs, uh, Sonny Bill Williams is back in. He's not going to go to Perth. Nani Lomapi gets another shot there. Um, what have you guys made, or what did you guys make of Sonny Bill's return and the call not to send him to Perth? Hamish, I'll let you go first. We know how much you love Sonny Bill. Well, I do love Sonny Bill. He was dead set, my favourite all-time rugby league player, and he was a hell of a league player. He's been a <laughs> mediocre to poor rugby player, but that's by the way. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's off to Cutty Cutty to play a game of three halves. That's weird. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like, he's been a protected species, and they're going to yeah, say, I know. I know he's great for PR, and their kids are going to get a selfie, and they're going to get to touch him and get his autograph, and it's going to be wonderful. And here's Grassroots Sonny, New Zealand's favourite Muslim, like waving a flag for tolerance and uh, and all that kind of stuff. He'll be fantastic at that. He's a great PR thing, but can he play rugby? I don't know, the bar's so low that he got through the game unscathed of the day and people were red go, wow, 7, 8 out of 10, well done, Sonny, you're not injured, you know what I mean? Like, that's, that's where we've got to, it's a bit macabre. Um, anyway, so do I think he's, I find it odd, he's been such a protected species, and you sort of think, they've always said, they're better in our environment, we know how to look after these guys, you know, you think they would take him uh, and, and Kevin Cottonball will or train him um, to send him off to the provinces to play against borderline club players on a club pitch, that's dicing with danger so I really am surprised by it and I don't know what it means for his World Cup because obviously someone in that wood, uh, midfield mix is going to have to drop out there's, there's you know there's five guys for four spots so yeah I really can't read the Williams situation to be honest Yeah well I did hear Steve Hansen say they thought it was unfair to throw him um, into a Bledisloe Cup environment with so little game time but they were happy to throw him in against the Springboks at Wellington which is interesting. Joe, what have you made of that situation? I'm finding it hard to read too. I, I mean, are they suggesting that 
Williams has now essentially missed his chance and they're just putting him through the motions. Is La Mape odds on now? If, if another strong performance from him, if he gets a run against Australia, does that seal his spot? I don't know. Um, has Williams and Hansen had a little bit of a falling out privately? I'm not sure exactly what's happened there. I guess the only, other, right. the, the only other species. notable things were the um, Crusaders the outside back class trio have got so another run for the last few years, and all of a sudden, to just want for the West coaches to go and say, basically, all we need for him to be is fit to take What do you think about Sibu Reese-Hamish? Is he a chance of going as like the Nehe Miller scatter type player in 2015? Why have they included what's going on there? It seems a bit of a strange situation. I'm not sure how to pick it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, the whole midfield. I mean, yeah, I yeah, jump in. Things that Ben been accused of so many things in his career and has been a, a lightning rod for so much has come out and, and had a bit of a dig on social media about pressure and how dare someone tell me about pressure and this is pressure you know that kind of stuff that's that's weird so if, if Hanson's putting that message about um yeah no it's a it's a funny situation can we safely assume Ryan Crotty assuming he's fit Jack Goodhue and Anton, Anton Leonard Brown are in and it's a fight for that fourth spot is that where it's at with the midfield I assume so that's my take yeah yeah. Right, I will change tack a bit now, but stay with the oval ball. And I guess it's been an interesting last week or so for the Warriors, and we do tend to say that a fair bit. But I guess first we had that controversial loss to the Eels last weekend. Then we had the NRL come out and admit multiple wrong decisions, and they've dropped a swag of officials from that game. And then just in the last couple of days, we had that failed challenge of Isaac Luke with the judiciary. I'll come to you, Hamish, first. The whole situation around the refereeing of the Eels game, everything that's been said and done by the NRL, what's been your take on the whole situation? Um, I'm not like a card-carrying Warriors enthusiast. I, I like rugby league, but I, I don't really care for them. So I don't, I'm not going to like um, say that they were hard done by or this was terrible or anything, because I didn't think it was actually... <laughs> that stripping rule is a tricky one. Um, and the the two of us to shake forward pass, I thought it was forward, the best line ball. Um, the Luke thing, that's where I have a problem. So the refereeing and the match review committee are two distinct things. So you've got Jake Trevojevic, you've got Nick Kotrick three weeks ago, you've got Isaac Luke on Saturday. Same tackle for me. Kotrick was sent off. He was, uh, he got three weeks suspension. I'd have given Luke a send off in three weeks. I'd have given Trevojevic a send off in three weeks. The fact that Trevojevic wasn't suspended at all and was only penalised in the match. Luke was penalised too, but gets suspended for three weeks. The inconsistency of that, that grates me. But the refereeing, there's a lot of hysteria around refereeing in rugby league, and there actually always has been. Um, it suits a certain media company over there to really beat it up. They, they just, and they've always done it. Uh, we have had absurd things like in-goal touch judges going back 20 years. We've had, you know, the video refereeing to start with had bunkers. It's all to do with these people screaming, you know, the end of the world is upon us because this refereeing is so bad. It's always been like that. I don't think it's particularly bad this year. I don't think it was particularly bad in the Warriors game. The most interesting refereeing thing that happened the weekend was Ivan Cleary from the Panthers going down and, and shouting at Ashley Klein at half-time. <laughs> are the Panthers persecuted? Now, the irony is they're playing Canberra, and the coach of Canberra, Ricky Stewart, is the most fine yes. rugby league coach in history because <laughs> complaining about referees. So, I mean, every team thinks they're persecuted. Every team thinks um, it's unfair. The fundamental problem with rugby league is it's a hard game to referee because everyone's cheating. They're trying to slow the ball, play the ball down off the defensive side. They're trying to speed it up if they're attacking side. And that, that leads to illegalities all across the line. And sometimes they whistle them and sometimes they don't. And I don't think the Warriors particularly um, picked on. I just think it's a shambles all around. Yeah. Sorry, that's red. 
<laughs> I thought you sum, summed up the mess quite well. Joe, speaking of persecution, as Hamish mentions, this so-called anti-warriors bias has come up again in the wake of all this. <laughs> Do you buy into it at all? No, not really. I mean, look, there's a lot of conspiracy theories that Melbourne Storm get an easy time from the refs because the NRL want to keep the big Victorian market interested. That's why they're so commonly in the playoffs, etc., etc. No one wants the New Zealand team to win, so the Warriors always get hard done by. Look, I'm not a huge fan of um, of of the Warriors per se. Rugby league is a great game, but it's they don't do themselves any favors. They're changing rules midway through seasons. Referees' interpretations vary from game to game and person to person. The rules are tricky enough to kind of follow. The stripping rule—that's a weird one at the best of times to try to explain to anyone. And now it's changed again, and they're trying to have to deal with those adjustments halfway through a season. These refs are under the pump from the media, from the coaches, from players as well, under enormous scrutiny, even from the NRL themselves. So they're probably out there second-guessing themselves all the time. Among that, having to deal with rule changes mid-season. So I think they're on a hiding to nothing, the refs. Well, before I let you go, let's look at the actual rugby league side of things and where they sit. 12th with six games to play. They're just three points outside the top eight. Gone, Bergen. It's such a close race. I'll get a take from both of you on... Uh, are they are they any shot, or where do you see it ending up eventually for the Warriors at the, when it's all said and done at the end of the season? There are thereabouts, 10th, 12th, something like that, but definitely outside the top eight. Yeah, it's hard. There's three to four in any given season. There's three to four good teams in the comp, and there's two to three dusty ones, and everyone else is in the middle, and the Warriors are in the middle, and um, it depends whether they, how it shakes up. They could finish up eighth. They could finish up 12th. Do you know what I mean? They just... Mm. There's just a, a lot of mediocrity in that competition, and they're part of it. Teams that can't back up one week after the next, you know what I mean? You, you win three games in a row, you're in the top four, you lose three, and you're in the bottom three, you know what I mean? It's just there's a lot of soft underbelly in the middle, and the Warriors are there. If they can beat Canberra this week, I think they'd be really handy. I don't think Canberra are a great side, and yet they sit, I think it's fourth. So, mm, yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I give the Warriors a reasonable shout, but if they miss out, I, I'm not going to be surprised because I just think they're in that that bunch of teams that aren't very good. You've got the Roosters, uh, the Storm and the Rabbitohs who are contesting the comp this year and everyone else is pretty much making up the numbers. Yeah, it looks like that's where it's going and you wouldn't say it's likely the Warriors are going to be in there, but let's see if they can put all these dramas behind them and make a bit of a run over these last six weeks. Anyhow, I think we'll leave it there, guys, but thanks again to you, Joe, and you, Hamish, for joining me to chat. You guys enjoy your sporting weekend. Thanks, guys. Thanks, mate. A month out from the World Championships, the New Zealand men's rowing eight is hitting its straps. The crew have scored a fourth and third in World Cup regattas since they were put together in April. New Zealand hasn't been a force globally in the men's eight for many years, but this year they've got two legends of the sport, Mahe Drysdale and Hamish Bond in the boat. They've also got a new coach, Tony O'Connor. The Irishman told Barry Guy... The two double Olympic champions did initially struggle to adjust to life in the big boat. I think Hamish, and he'd admitted himself, always kind of pictured himself as the, the stroke man of the eight because he'd been the stroke man of the pair for so long. And he had been the stroke man of the four when they won the Worlds, what, 12 years ago now. So he really hadn't sat anywhere else apart from that particular seat. Um, and I think everybody expected that he would be there. And, you know, once he got back into it, we put him up there. But uh, he'd be the first to admit that, you know, in a lot of ways, he couldn't dictate the pace of the rhythm to seven people. It's not that hard to do it for one person sitting behind you. You just follow him, you know. But when you've got seven or eight people, and, and remember, that's a lot of mass. You're talking hundreds and hundreds of kilos coming up and down the slide 40 times a minute. 
it's really hard to control that. So he found that more difficult. And funny enough, as he, as he sort of went back, we put him into the sixth seat, so we moved him back there, and then we moved him a bit further back to four. And as he went further back, he became more and more comfortable, and it said it felt more and more like the pair. So now he finds himself down the, the point end of the boat, down the bow, uh, two seats, and um, he's loving it. So I think that was a surprise to him that uh, there were stages there he said, I don't know what I'm doing, you know, which is kind of kind of interesting coming from, again, another Olympic double uh, gold medalist. So, you know, just the, the seating is, is, is it's not a simple thing. It's not transferable from one boat to the other. I think Mahi, uh, we're, we're in the middle of a pretty heavy program at the moment and and he's because he normally Mahe will do sort of one he, he suited himself on the single so he, he he trained in the boat as much as he could or as he wanted to and he'd do the rest on the bike or in the gym or the year ago so it was a little bit more flexible but obviously with a big crew and a team you've got to do what everyone else is doing so he's done a bit more mileage on the water now than he has done in I must say quite a few years but and and again he said he's look he's learning a little bit more about his own body and, and how that recovers doing all this mileage and um but he's a consummate professional so you know i've no issues with with with, with that so he's been um and again he's moved around the boat as well he's even changed sides uh, he was on the bow side and we decided we'd pop him over onto the stroke side and that seems to have worked as well so yeah he's he's been very flexible and accommodating you know they're all a bit tired at the moment we're in a heavy dose of training but you know i can see that they they enjoy it, you know, the two, the two older guys. You I mean, why wouldn't you? You're hanging around with, with basically some, some guys half your age. You know, I think they're learning a lot, not just about rowing. <laughs> rowing coach Tony O'Connor there, speaking to Barry Guy about the progress of the New Zealand men's eight so far this year. A New Zealand woman is taking on the Mount Everest of ultramarathons, running 3,100 miles, which is just shy of 5,000 kilometres in 52 days. It's the world's longest certified road race, and it's not through some beautiful landscape. The course is just half a mile, or a roughly 800 metre block in the New York borough of Queens. To finish on time, Harita Davies and the nine other runners taking part in the Sri Chinmoy self-transcendence race have to do an average of 110 laps, or approximately 100 kilometres a day. It's the second time Harita's taken on the challenge, and this year she's the only woman taking part. First up, host Indira Stewart spoke to her as she pounded the pavements on her way around the course this week. So it's a very unusual race and that it um, goes for 52 days so it's super long and um, the entire distance is 3,100 miles which is just a few miles short of 5,000 kilometres. So often people when they finish the 3,100 will do a few more miles to make it 5,000 kilometres. So it started on the 16th of June (laughs) and there's only like six days to go. Um, It runs around a block in Queens, Jamaica, Queens, New York, and the block is about just over half a mile. So um, it starts at 6 a.m. every day, and then it finishes, you have until midnight every day. And in order to complete the distance in 52 days, you have to do a minimum of 60 miles a day. 60 miles a day between, around 100 100k a day between 6 a.m. and midnight. Mhm, mhm, yeah, yeah. And do you take so breaks? Quite, um, yep. Yeah, yeah. So um, usually I take three breaks of about um, 25 minutes or half an hour. So 
So it's pretty. Um, it's not like it's not unachievable, but like you run, a, you run much slower when you're running all of the time. So it's not like kind of just going out and running a couple of really fast marathons. You know, it's yeah. kind of like pretty. Um, yeah. So we're yeah, about pretty to disciplined the whole time. We're about to you now. So I'm out on the course. And are, uh, are you running, a, or are you on a break? Uh huh. Yep. No, no, no. I'm running. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're running during this interview. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Uh, this you have six <laughs> days left to go to finish this race, so that means you are on the forty-sixth yeah. uh, day. So how sore are your yeah. feet? Um, you know they're not too bad. Um, they've been through all different phases of blisters and. Uh, yeah, sore arches and different things. Um, so I definitely I get regular, like really short massages. Like someone just when I have a break, I'll get a massage. So like one or two minutes of my feet and just try to crunch them up and keep them going. But um, they're probably the sorest actually in the first week of the race, which is, sounds really surprising. But you know the human body has this incredible capacity to adapt to extreme conditions if it has to. So um, yeah, so. I would say I'm in much better shape now than I was probably after like a week. Harita, yeah. how many miles have you covered so far, or how many kilometres? Oh, oh, um, hmm. I have to have a look at the. Well, it's over just a bit of two thousand seven hundred and forty or something like that mile. Um, I'm not sure exactly what that is in kilometres, but yeah, over four thousand kilometres for sure. And so you- I'm kind of. Um, I was actually on schedule to finish a day earlier but then um yeah yesterday I got some kind of stomach bug or from the heat maybe or something but anyway I was yeah I was pretty <laughs> I was <laughs> I wasn't in a good state for the whole day yesterday so but now I'm feeling much better and um yeah so all going well I'll be able to complete the distance within the 52 days. Fantastic. And, and given the fact that you're running between 6 a.m. and midnight, which barely gives you enough time for, one, sleep, uh, two, what do you mm. eat to sustain you over that entire period? Mm. So uh, you have to eat a lot. You have to eat around 10,000 calories a day. And um, despite that, like, we, we eat a lot. It's, really, it's the middle of summer in New York City, so it's you know, super hot. Um, so a lot of people bring out ice cream, which is a great food because it's high in calories and it's cold. So we kind of laugh about you can be eating like five ice creams a day and still losing weight, you know. So. <laughs> that was Indira Stewart speaking to ultramarathon runner Harita Davies, who has less than a week left to complete the world's longest certified road race. And that's it for Extra Time this week. Thanks for joining us and remember to check us out on the web and give us a follow on Twitter through our hashtag at RNZ Sport. Catch you all next week and bye for now. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.